You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. This morning we are going to get dive into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to continue this series, Hungry for Wisdom. I, sh- I shared some testimonies in first service, and I should go ahead and share some testimonies in second service, right? You don't want to be gypped just because you chose to come to one service over the other, right? Um, I'll make everyone come to both services, okay? No, just kidding. So uh, God's just been moving. He's been working. We've been praying for, for God to show up and do the miraculous and for, for God to perform sovereign healings, meaning that God just heals people. For us, gathering, he, he shows up and, and provides a miracle in people's lives, and we've been seeing that over the last several weeks, I was in the lobby last Sunday after the service talking with a young lady who normally has hearing aids in her ears, and uh, she didn't have hearing aids in because she said during worship, uh, her ears started popping and uh, making all sorts of noises, crackling and popping, and she took out her hearing aids, she realized she could hear. And we were having a conversation out in the lobby, and she was amazed and we went on to pray for, for her son, who was actually up in Mayo, having a heart transplant. So it just become, became a catalyst for, for faith to pray for a miracle again up in, up in Mayo. Um, but God is still the God that, that uh, opens deaf ears. Um, another testimony is a message I received this week of someone who had type, type 1 diabetes. And uh, the doctor put them on some medicine that, that they were having some... Um, to kind of bad effects on, the, on them. So they went off the medicine under the doc- doctor's prescription and they were kind of waiting it out to see what, what would come next, what would be the next course of action. And uh, next time they reached out to the doctor, the doctor said their numbers had returned to normal. <laughs> that as they had been praying over, over that the Lord would heal them from the head of the top of their head to the, to the soles of their feet, um, healing just completely wiped away that, the diabetes and a uh, clean bill of health, praise the Lord. Another testimony. I uh, just received this this, this week, um, an individual in our church who had been in a kayaking accident, their kayak was uh, capsized on a lake, and they were trying to help their kid, uh, and they ended up tearing their shoulder all up, and so there was so much pain, and she happened to be on a, a FaceTime call with one of our elders, Miss Connie, and uh, just catching up on life, and, and at the end of it, you know, they felt like they should, they should pray over this shoulder, the Lord is our healer, um, and in community, God commands us to, to, to reach out to the elders of the church and ask them for, for healing. And ask that they lay their hands on us so we'd be healed. Um, it's just the simple submission to community for God to demonstrate himself through the body, through community, through submission to one another. And uh, they prayed a simple prayer at the end of that, the end of that FaceTime call. And she said she felt a popping in her shoulder. And honestly, like sometimes in community, like we get so used to praying for each other and we've been contending for this for, for a while now that like you can just kind of feel like, well, this is what we do. We pray for each other. And maybe there's not a whole lot of even expectation. You're like, I don't know if anything's going to happen, but we're going to pray. That's what we're supposed to do. And uh, then all of a sudden, a popping started happening in her shoulder. She realized all the pain had left. And uh, she woke up the next morning feeling 100%. And so God is a God that heals. He's still working today. And um, so I just want to encourage you with that. Those aren't in my notes. I just felt compelled first service, and I don't want you to feel gypped. I don't want you to feel missed out, or like you're missing out. This morning, we're going to continue our series called Hungry for Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Um, and I want us to talk this morning about the power of our words. 
There is an influence and impact and a ripple effect that happens through our choice words. And I want us to be people that are thoughtful about the words that we speak. They have a life of their own. And um, I want us to slow down as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, and uh, submit ourselves to Scripture this morning, the wisdom of God's Word, and hear what the book of Proverbs would have to say about the words that we speak. Our words have power. My four-year-old daughter, I have three daughters in my home. That's right, you should pray for me. I have three daughters, and I, I see it as one of my main objectives over the next 14 years, as they're still under the roof of my house. Uh, I see it as one of my main objecti- objectives for them to feel valued and for them to, to know what love is and for them to feel beautiful, that I see them as the treasured gifts that they are. And um, so I tell them how much I love them often, every single day, multiple times a day, and, and how beautiful they are to me. And my, recently, my four-year-old daughter went up to my wife and whispered in her ear and said, Mommy, I love it when Daddy tells me that I'm beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, I do that so often as a father. I tell them how much I love them and how beautiful they are to me, you know, uniquely as they are cherished individually. And um, sometimes you can just assume it's going in one ear, out the other. Um, but for her, it was impactful. It was meaningful. It stuck with her. It's something that she treasures. It, it makes an imprint upon her life. You know, the flip side of that, I remember being in a pre-marriage counseling session with a young couple in their 20s, and um, we were going through our kind of life stories. I was hearing their life stories and their, their family upbringing, and, and the, the lady, she had she'd come from a broken family. She, she was telling me some of her story, and she, said, she recalled the story, the power of words, and she said one, one day she was a little girl around Quinn's age, four or five years old. She got a dress on, a ballerina dress or a princess dress. She started dancing around the living room, and she just wanted her dad to tell her how beautiful she was and to even dance with her. And uh, he, dis- he quickly dismissed her when he saw her dancing. He said, stop being silly. Go change. Stop being silly. And here she was in her 20s, almost 20 years later, in my office, in tears, broken, you know, still wounded by these words spoken over her life two decades earlier. And so what can seem like a passing phrase or, you know, um, just meaningless words actually left an imprint upon this child that actually carried with them into their adult years. And so our words have a life. Some words have a long life. Some words have a short life. We don't actually know actually the life of those words that we speak, but we will be held accountable for the words that we speak. And I want us to be people of wisdom. I want us to, to, to be people that humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to God's word and say, God, how can we be people that speak with wisdom? How can we have an instructed tongue in our generation? And I would say all the more in our communication information age. Uh, there is a proliferation of words right now. There is a, there's a, uh, words are a plenty right now. And I actually saw this stat recently that 90% of all content created in, in the world has been created in the last two years. So 90% of all information, all content has been created in the last two years. That is the exponential growth of content and information happening right now in our generation. And so it can seem that because of the superfluous amount of information and content and words, that our words have less meaning. But I want to paradoxically turn that on head and actually say that the opposite is true, that in this day of a superfluous amount of information and content and words, our words have all the more meaning, that we need to be more thoughtful, more purposeful, uh, more prayerful about the words that we speak so that they pierce through the noise and cut to people's hearts and leave an imprint for eternal change and eternal impact. Amen? Hope I'm stoking an, an, an appetite in your heart 
for wisdom on God's on, on words on godly words um, because we need we need to be hungry we need to be people that are hungry you know in the natural in the physical if you're not hungry you're not healthy right it's unhealthy to lack an appetite we are supposed to be people that have an appetite for food and we're supposed to be people that have an appetite and a hunger for the things of God for us to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And we're praying in this series that, that would grow in your hearts. And we're doing it through the book of Proverbs, but all 66 books of the word of God are full of the wisdom and revelation of God. Um, but the book of Proverbs are the most like clearly explicit, just one after another, rapid fire wisdom of God being poured out upon us. I want to point you to stoke a hunger in your heart because I'm not sensing that you're hungry yet. So <laughs> Proverbs chapter one, there's a promise um, there's a promise of God's provision and his generosity that he wants to pour out upon us in, 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 uh, in giving us wisdom to live our lives well. He says, if you, and this is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour, pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Jesus is the personification of wisdom. And the, the Apostle Paul prays this prayer that he would give you, a, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And God gives us right here in the book of Proverbs this promise that if we have this heart of humility to submit ourselves to the reproof and the, the, the wisdom of God, that he will generously pour out his spirit upon us. And it's a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can live lives well for his glory. Amen? So we need God's, we, we need God's wisdom uh, in our day and age all the more. So we're going to talk about this, how, how to make your words count in a noisy age. It is a noisy, noisy world we live in. Um, and sometimes I feel like we can uh, falsely slip into a pride to think that, you know, there's one word that's being thrown around a lot over the last six months of 2020. It's the word unprecedented. And I would say that there, in the specifics of what we're facing in our year, there are certain unprecedented aspects of it. But there is a, there is a pride that we can fall prey to if we throw that, that word around too much. Um, <laughs> human history has, has uh, gone through all of this stuff before in the general. In the specifics, it is unprecedented, but in the general, it's not at all. And I want to tell you before God that nothing is new to him. There's nothing new under the sun. And uh, he is not caught off guard, he is not confused, he's not surprised, he's not mystified. Uh, there's nothing new. And so there's a lot of talk going on right now, 24-7, talking heads and lots of noise, lots of information. And I want us as the people of God to, to, to understand in a greater way um, how we can allow our words to count in a noisy age. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 10. We'll be looking at a few passages, but we'll start here, Proverbs chapter 10. And I should probably say this, maybe, if you're distracted by my voice, we took a trip up to Minnesota uh, to a family farm, and there was all sorts of stuff in the air, and it did something to my allergies, and I hadn't taken allergy medicine in a, in a couple of years, and um, it, I just came back, and I, I was like this, it's sounding like I, somebody told me in first service I sounded like a country singer or something, so <laughs> I apologize if it's distracting, um, I don't have the virus, I... Uh, just went to a farm. So uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 10. It says, whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, 
but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So how can we allow our words to count in a noisy age? I want us to first look at that phrase that he says in verse 12. No, in verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And I want us to choose to speak life. That's the first way we can, we can make our words count in a noisy age. We can choose to speak words of life, words that build up, words that edify, words that we understand have a life of their own and therefore reproduce life. They create life in others. And I believe speaking life is different than just being, po- being positive. You know, maybe in, in the world, even in the secular world, you can hear talk about being positive and the, the power of speaking positively. And I would say in the kingdom, um, there, there are affirmations of that. Uh, but I want us to think beyond just being positive. Maybe for some, there are some pessimistic folks in the house and you need a little dose of positivity. But I want us to go beyond positivity. I want us to be people that speak words of healing, speak words of restoration, speak words of hope, of faith, of identity, of good news, of purpose upon people's lives, words of redemption. And, um, and that, that becomes this fountain of life from us when we begin to choose to speak words like that, words that are right and words that are true. I believe in a, in a very noisy world, superficial positive words uh, can actually just contribute to the noise and uh, they don't actually do any good. What we need is life-giving words of truth that center people back on what they were created for uh, in our generation. So this week, in your day-to-day life, ask yourself this question. Now, how in this conversation can I speak life? In this conversation you're having with your spouse, with your kids, with your employer, with your employees, how can I speak life into this conversation? How can this person be better off for having a conversation with me than when they walked into the relationship, into the conversation? There may be a question that you can ask that allows the person to feel heard. Maybe there's a specific word of encouragement that you can bring that changes the tone of the conversation. Maybe there is a piercing truth that given at the right time, in the right way, brings clarity to the person you're talking with. Your truth does something to settle our hearts. I believe in the, in the human heart, both the saved and the unsaved, there's this longing for truth. This is what we're created for, to, to know God. And so it, it allows us to feel what the steady ground of truth feels like when we actually speak truth into a situation. Whether they receive it or not, truth brings clarity. So this may seem small. It may seem small to say, okay, I'm going to choose to speak life. But I would say this is a radical shift in the way uh, what, in, in, compared to what comes natural to us. You know, in natural conversation, we're usually thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about our own insecurities, our own territory, protecting what we have. Uh, we're, we're, we were more oftentimes thinking about how can I prove my point? How can I win the debate? How can I show that I am right? But this flips that on our head. When we choose to speak life, we're actually thinking about bettering that person. How can I leave this person better off for having this conversation with me? How can I allow them to feel valued? How can I make them 
How can I impart life upon them? How can I create, uh, plant a seed or create life in them that will produce something beautiful? And so it flips that on head. It begin, we begin to think about relationship rather than uh, winning an argument or thinking more about the person rather than ourselves. Um, you know, with all the unrest happening in our country over the last number of months, I've been more interested in, in reading and beefing up my knowledge of American history. There's kind of a movement right now of de- deconstructionists, people that want to tear down American history. And, and so I'm just curious to learn more and more about American history. I've been going through different president, uh, biographies of presidents. And I read, recently read a biography of uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, who's one of the most popular U.S. presidents in American history. Well, I'm very accomplished. I mean, man known for his energy, for his grit, for his determination. Um, just the amount of, I mean, people said he hardly slept. <laughs> He's the one who, you know, initiated the U.S. Forest Service, the national parks, um, helped build the Panama Canal. I mean, he was a very accomplished president at a time of peace in our country. Um, but many people do not know about Teddy Roosevelt is that he was a very sickly child. He had a crippling asthma um, that left him bed-stricken most of the time. Um, but his dad saw something in him that other people wouldn't see in the natural. And this is something his dad spoke over him. These are words of life. He said, Theodore, you have the mind, but you haven't got the body. I'm giving you the tools to make your body. It's going to be hard drudgery, and I think you have the determination to go through with it. He spoke words of truth. There was encouragement in there. There was positivity, but it wasn't just superficial positivity. It was a truth that pushed him into a better place. And so what he actually ended up doing, his dad ended up creating a room for him, like a workout room. They were a pretty wealthy family. They created a workout room for him where he began to physically overcome his asthma because of those words of life spoken over him by his father. That I I see in you, you have a keen intellect. You're a smart kid, a smart young whippersnapper, but your body is weak. But I believe in you, and I believe in the grit that you have in you, the determination you have in you. I'm going to back it up with action. And it was transformational in Teddy Roosevelt's life. And obviously, he became uh, an overcomer. It's a testimony of an overcomer. And so those are words of life, words of truth that pierce through any of the superficialities and pierce right to the heart that motivate people to, um, to something better. If you look at verse 13 and 14, it says, On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. There is a pain associated with foolish words, with our mistakes, with uh, the words that we speak without being thoughtful. There's a pain that accompanies that. Verse 14, the wise lay up knowledge. So the way of wisdom is to learn from our mistakes. So the second way in which we can make our words count in a noisy age is to choose to get better. Begin to choose the way of wisdom more often than the way of, fool, of foolishness, the way of the wicked. To begin to realize when you feel pain from words spoken at an inner, inner, inopportune time in the wrong way, and you feel that pain, the backlash of division or broken relationship or conflict or bitterness or whatever it is, you begin to, you begin to take note and discern that pain and begin to, from the, from the days moving forward, begin to choose the way of wisdom. You begin to get better. I think oftentimes when we think about the book of Proverbs, we wrongly, we wrong, we wrongly think it's a description of two, two camps of people. We think 
the book of Proverbs describes the camp of the, the wise and the camp of the foolish. I'm sorry for those that are sitting over here. I'm not describing you as the foolish, but you got the foolish over here and you got the wise over here. And you think the book of Proverbs is just talking about these people who they're always wise and they're always foolish. It's not like that. The book of Proverbs is talking about the way of the wise and the way of the foolish. And in all reality, in some aspects of our life, we walk in the way of the wise. At the same time, in other areas of our life, we're walking in the way of the foolish, of, of the foolish ones, of the wicked. And as humble followers of Jesus, we can, we can get better. We can walk in a greater uh, alignment with the identity that Jesus purchased for us by choosing the way of wisdom more and more often as we walk in maturity, as we walk in humility, as we walk with God. So it's, it's recognizing, oh, I chose the way of foolishness in that way. I got, that was unrighteous. It wasn't right. I'm going to, next time, I'm going to choose the way of wisdom. That is storing up knowledge. <laughs> it's the school of hard knocks, right? It's a great teacher. Like you, you, hit, your wall, or you, hit, you hit your head on something and you realize, I'm not going to do that again next time. I'm going to choose to get better. I'm not going to continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over. So we make a mistake when we allow our missteps and our mistakes to be a blemish on our past. And we avoid it and we don't like to look at it. We'll end up, we'll end up repeating it that way. But when we look at our mistakes and the, the missteps we've taken, and we allow those mistakes to be a stepping stone to something greater, to, oh, okay, now I'm going to walk in the way of wisdom. I made that mistake. We've all made mistakes. Let's choose wisdom next time. Let's get better. Let's be better with our words. Let's stop being people that throw everything under the... The, the guys of, this is my personality. This is just the way I am. I'm just a rude person. I'm just a sarcastic person. I'm just cutting. And instead, let's choose the way of wisdom. Um, amen? I'm just getting so quiet in here. But I pray as I get older that I get better. I pray that I, as I get older, I get more faithful, that I get more truthful, that I get more thoughtful, that I get more loving. I want to get better. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. So just jump down a few verses. He says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. So what does that say for our generation? When 90% of all information on the planet has been created in the last two years, transgression is not lacking in our generation. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So a third way in which we can allow our words to count in a noisy age is to choose to be thoughtful. And I just want to speak some freedom upon you this morning. Some freedom from the pressures of our generation, especially in 2020, to feel like you have to have a vocal opinion about everything. We are, we're, I mean, every generation is drawn to, to drama, to crisis, to hysteria. But you don't have to have a vocal opinion about everything. There's been, there's been a catchphrase going around that silence is violence. Silence is not violence. It can be a, con, a contributing factor to evils in our society. But it's not violence. Silence can be thoughtfulness. Silence can be prayerfulness. Silence can be a lot of things. So don't give in to that pressure of being bullied into vocally having to give an opinion about something. You don't have to have an opinion about everything vocally. There is this child, and the reason I, I'm passionate about this is because the church is being drawn into this immature childishness of feeling like that we have to make a public statement, a thoughtless opinion about, about everything without first considering the implications of those opinions. As you look through church history, time and time again, you can see the church being hijacked for ulterior agendas. 
And so what I'm afraid of is if we're not thoughtful about our public statements of opinions about things, that the church, pockets of the church will be hijacked for ulterior agendas, for political agendas. And we don't know where that road's gonna go. So what would it look like if we're thoughtful? What would it look, look like if we stopped and in 2020 we say, God, we wanna, we wanna be slower to speak. Here's a recipe for revival in our nation. <laughs> if, the, if the church would be slow to speak, quick to love and radical in prayer. Come on, that's true. Let's be slow to speak, quick to love, and radical people of prayer. Instead, the church is so quick to want to be on the cutting edge of everything that we make a statement and then realize we've signed up for all these other things. We need to be thoughtful. Let's not contribute to the noise and the chaos. Let's not, let's not get sucked into this whirlwind. E.W. Tozer, in his book, The Spirit, Spirit is Alive, tells a story about a worship gathering, much like this, where he said, well, while they were worshiping, there was just this hush that came over, over the room. It's just like this quietness. And it was like everyone in the room was captivated by God. Like God was just so big. You know, not that God's size ever changes, but there's moments where you, you realize the enormity and the majesty of God. And he said that was one of those moments in that worship gathering. When everything was quiet. And this is what he goes on to say as he describes that, that experience, the revelation that he had. He says, when I'm praying the most eloquently, I'm getting the least accomplished in my prayer life. But when I stop getting eloquent and give God less theology and just shut up, just gaze upward and wait for God to speak to my heart, he speaks with such power that I have to grab a pencil and a notebook and take notes on what God is saying to my heart. I would say when noise is greater, that less is more when it comes to our words. The more can be accomplished with less if we're thoughtful, if we're people of prayer. So I believe our words in a divisive, a chaotic age, our words matter all the more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing from a prison hell, from a prison cell, less than a year before he's martyred for his um, efforts to take out Hitler and the Third Reich during World War II, he wrote this. He said, above all, we should never allow ourselves to be consumed by the present moment. And he's not talking about not being present in this moment. He's talking about the pressures of this present moment, like the, the drama, the crisis, the hysteria that pulls you, that inertia that pulls you into things without being thoughtful. He says, but you should foster that calmness that comes from great thoughts and measure everything by them. And that's someone who lived thoughtfulness. Let's be thoughtful, amen? That is the way of wisdom. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. One last proverb, Proverbs chapter 16. Now, I'll ask the worship team to come forward. Proverbs chapter 16 Starting in verse 20, it says, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it. But the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. 
Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. As we grow in wisdom and learn, for, learn how to make our words count in our generation, we'll realize that we have an opportunity to be an, uh, an agent of change and an influence to those around us and bring others along in this. So I believe that the fourth way we can make our words count is they begin to reproduce themselves in others. We choose to bring others along. We can be part of the change in our generation. Our tongue can be an agent of healing and hope. It can be an agent of truth in our generations. And so part of my heart this morning was to commission us as a church to speak words of wisdom, to speak like Jesus did. He oftentimes asked questions that pierced through all the noise, that, through, that pierced through the divisiveness of political parties, religious factions, and he pierced through it with questions. Sometimes it was laying the hammer down of truth. But we can bring others along in this. Both the next generation and those that we pour our life into. Those that look to you. Begin to invite them into being people that speak words of life. That learn to get better in your words. Demonstrating the way of repentance for words misspoken. Words wrongly spoken. And we bring others along. We disciple a generation of people to be agents of change in this noisy generation. You know, as a staff team recently, because of all the unrest, we, had a, we, had, we just had to have a philosophical conversation about social media and the role that it should play for us as, as leaders in the church. And because there can be all sorts of pressures to, uh, to have to say certain things and do certain things. And we didn't come to a whole lot of conclusions, but we did come to the conclusion that social media is not a great venue. It's not a great platform for conversations. Nothing really in the comment sections, anything coming after, nothing really productive happens. Conversations have to happen in this context, face-to-face, in small groups, in living rooms, one-on-one at a coffee shop. That's where the, the real change happens, and we bring people along in change, and we don't, we don't uh, minimize that impact of change, one relationship at a time. What would happen if we all took care of our own household? If every single person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus took responsibility for their own household, their own family units, and we're going to be a household that speaks life. Like we're going to be people that speak truth. We're going to be different. That's where the real change happens. So we, as a staff team, we said, you know, social media platforms can be a useful tool in our generation for making a statement, but not for conversation. Because there is a sense, I mean, you don't want to completely remove yourself from having any voice in a generation. But you want, to be, you want to do it thoughtfully. You want to do it prayerfully. You want to do it in a wise way. And so for us, that's where we landed. We're not saying it's the perfect answer. But for us, we can make statements, but we're not going to try to engage in conversations. Oftentimes, it just go awry. I know there's so much going on that can seem so overwhelming. It can seem like there's nothing that we can do. But there is power in our words. And God wants you to have a sense of authority in Jesus this morning to speak words of truth that have a ripple effect that bring change in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your city, in our church, in our region. If you'd all stand to your feet, I want to pray a prayer commissioning over us as we, as we close.
sorry, we went a little over noon this morning, but um, me and my wife were having a conversation. It was my, we were traveling back from Minnesota on my birthday, and so there in the car, we had a conversation about my life verse, which is Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. I prayed almost every single day over my life. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue that I might have a word to sustain the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me to hear like one being taught. He's opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. That's Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. It's a prophecy about Jesus. I have a mandate upon my life to have an instructed tongue. You know, in my household, with my kids, I feel like it's one of my greatest responsibilities, but also with this church. And I pray that that would be, that that culture in our church would be an influence upon your life in a way that impacts the way you interact with people outside the four walls of this church that we would be people that speak life, that have words of wisdom for our generation. So I want to pray a prayer commissioning upon you. If you'd all bow your, head, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I also want to give an opportunity for anybody in this place this morning, a number of people in the first service that surrendered their life to Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you want to start a relationship with God, you're not right with, you're not right, right with the Father. This morning you want to make things right. I want to give you an opportunity to do that to pray a prayer of salvation, of salvation, to commit your life to Jesus. And then I'm going to pray a prayer commissioning over us to be people that speak words of wisdom. But if you're part of that a first group, you can say, Drew, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to start a relationship with God. I need to make things right with him. If you'd raise your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. But if that's you this morning, if you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody? Awesome. I don't see any hands. So if, if you want to pray that prayer, please make eye contact with me or raise your hand. Otherwise, here's how it goes, folks. There's only one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, we lead out in these prayers every single week to give as many opportunities as possible for people to make things right with God. But you can pray this prayer at any time. And so when you get home later today and like the Lord's stirring in your heart and you realize I need to make things right with God, you can pray to him like this, Lord Jesus, I come to the end of myself. I cannot clean my life up on my own. So this morning I look to you, Jesus, as my savior, as my Lord, as my king, as my master. You're the only answer for my life. Through your death and your resurrection, I choose life in you this morning. Saying no to my old life, and I'm being born again in you, Jesus, because your Holy Spirit's coming to live inside of me. That's what I'm choosing today. In your mighty name. You can pray that prayer anytime. I do encourage you to tell somebody about it so you can get baptized in water and we can celebrate as a church and come alongside you. I want to pray a prayer commissioning upon us to be people that speak words of wisdom. Lord, I stand before an amazing church family that I love so much. And I do believe you've placed us here in Ames, Iowa, central Ames at that, to be an agent of change, to be an influence. And so not for one moment do we remove ourselves from the, from the noise and the chaos in a, in a passive way, in an apathetic way, but instead, Lord, in the midst of it all, Lord, we know you're, you're calling us out to be something different, to be a, to be a voice of change and transformation to speak wor piercing words of wisdom in our generation, to speak words of truth and peace and redemption and hope that pierce to the heart 
of people and families that bring transformation. That King Jesus, we'd seek to be more and more like you, choosing the way of wisdom throughout our days. Give individuals in this church, this morning I pray in your mighty name, you'd give them an instructed tongue. Lord, that they'd have a word to sustain the weary. That morning by morning, you'd waken them to hear like one being taught. That, Lord, you'd open their ears and they'd be obedient. From this day forward, they'd choose the way of wisdom in your mighty name. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.